Hello everyone and welcome to an all new episode of Palace Off the Top Rope Presents 90s Films Turn 30. Thank you so much for joining me ladies and gentlemen and we've come to the end of November which feels like went by like in a flash and uh, we are marching towards the end of season one of this spinoff series. Got about six movies left to do. Technically seven because I got that extra episode that I'm promising y'all because I wasn't able to get to the movie Repossessed. Couldn't find that one. So still working on what I'm going to do as that extra movie. But even then, that won't come until like early in 2021, probably in January. And I'll do that because season two of the spinoff series will actually kick off in February. Um, so that's why I'm going to do that. So really six more movies to end 2020 and season one of this series, which I've had a blast in revisiting a lot of these movies 30 years later and some of them for the first time. So uh, a lot of, a lot of fun on that. And another first time watch this week, uh, in the movie that I'm tackling, it's called misery starring Kathy Bates and James Kahn from director Rob Reiner, um, had an absolute blast watching it. And I will talk to you all about it in just a few. Just wanted to recap where we're at uh, since we've come to the end of November. The last four movies that I've done have come in double feature podcasts where you get two movies in one uh, podcast. So those movies were Child's Play 2, Dances with Wolves uh, as a weird double feature, and then Home Alone and Rocky Five, which you can all check out now in canon, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, it's almost on all the platforms. So, um, yeah, check them out and catch up. And uh, yeah, we're almost we're almost done with season one, so I'm super excited. So, without further ado, Paul Sheldon used to write for a living. Now he's writing to stay alive. This is misery. Enjoy the show. <laughs> almost died. You have a compound fracture of the tibia in both legs and the fibula in the right leg is fractured too. And as soon as the roads open, I'll take you to a hospital. In the meantime, you've got a lot of recovering to do. There is nothing to worry about. You're going to be just fine. I'm your number one fan. My name is Annie Wilkes. I think one of my clients, Paul Sheldon, might be in some kind of trouble. You mean Paul Sheldon, the writer? Everybody sure likes those misery books. We had it at the store, Paul. They said he checked out last Tuesday. Isn't that a little strange? I guess it was kind of a miracle you finding me. In a way, I was following you. You were following me? Oh, Paul, I've read everything of yours. But the misery novels. You must be a good man. You could never have created such a wondrous, loving creature as Misery Chastain. Very kind. The presumption must now be that Paul Sheldon is dead. You dirty bird. How could you? Misery Chastain cannot be dead. Misery Spirit is still alive. I don't want her spirit! I want her! And you murdered her! You don't think he's dead, do you? And don't even think about anybody coming for you, because I never called them. Nobody knows you're here. And you better hope nothing happens to me. Because if I die, you die. you've been out is this what you're looking for eventually you'll come to accept the idea of being here annie whatever you think i'm not doing please don't do it any regards shh darling 
America sick. It's for the best. God, I love you. All right, here we go. So real quickly, don't want to be too redundant on this. This was a movie, obviously, that I didn't see as a kid, uh, as as a common theme that's been throughout this spinoff series, is that I didn't watch really horror or thrillers much when I was a kid. Uh, I saw this probably more as a horror just because I saw the Stephen King name attached to it, and he was more attached to, to scary movies. So I was like, nah. But I was aware of it. It, it was uh, mentioned in other movies, so I was always aware of the title Misery. And the actress Kathy Bates attached to it. So I knew about it. I knew it existed. So never saw it in the 90s. So, of course, I'm watching this as a first-timer here in 2020. But, of course, it's 30 years later, released on November 30th. So I I just want to see, first, A, how I liked the movie or didn't like the movie. But if you listen to the intro of this podcast, I had an absolute blast. And then lastly, whether or not this holds up 30 years later and whether you could do it again. And uh, I'll actually I actually have a recasting in mind if we were to redo this movie right now uh, in the year 2020. But uh, here is the synopsis for Misery as given to us by BoxOfficeMojo.com, which is powered by IMD Pro. Uh, Again, BoxOfficeMojo is a huge database uh, on the internet that you can check out all the analytics for any movie that you wanted to know about for the most part, you know, how a movies done daily in its box office, how it did on the weekend, where it ranks all time, all these different avenues you can go through cheap plug there for the website. IMDb also, you can check for, for actors and actresses, you know, you can find out trivia and goofs on movies, soundtracks, anything you want to know about movies are almost in, entirely in this, uh, app, which you can, download on your smartphone or if you're still like savvy to having like a dc dc a desktop uh you can check it out through there both of these websites i've used a lot for this series and just in general you know i highly recommend them fun fun apps and and websites anyways here is the synopsis after a famous author is rescued from a car crash by a fan of his novels he comes to realize that the care he is receiving is only the beginning of a nightmare of captivity and abuse. So that's basic the gist of the movie. Uh, James Kahn plays Paul Sheldon, this famous writer. Uh, he would write for this character called uh, Misery Chastain, and he wrote a bunch of novels on her, and you know got a lot of notoriety off that. Um, in his final book, he kills off the character because he wants to move on, doesn't want to be, you know, just be known as as the writer uh, of that character. He wants to go on and do different things, do ser- more serious stuff. So he's been off in a place called Silver Creek where he's been writing this new novel. Um, and obviously where he's at, it's very snowy. And I think he's ready to go home at some point and doesn't realize there's a blizzard in front of him, gets into a really bad car accident. Again, this happens at the very beginning of the movie. And he gets rescued by Kathy Bates, whose character's name is Annie. Uh, and uh, she takes him into care. And the whole setup is super believable. Because there's a huge blizzard. Again, I'm watching this for the first time. So, you know, I know I've seen the trailer and, and it's played off for you here in the beginning. But I, I, I kind of tried to try to erase that from my mind as I was watching this because I, I try to envision myself seeing it as I would in 1990 as an adult, of course, not a kid. So I, I'm trying to throw away all of that out the window. I'm like, is this believable as a story? Like, does she come off uh, as a psycho right away? It's like, no, it's just a person that 
is doing a good deed is uh rescued a man who could have died in this car crash you know he's severely wounded um he's gotten like two broken legs and they show it and it's very graphic like they, i don't know who did the like the the padding and uh just all cuz it's, it's all prosthetics there's no cgi in this so they i want to give them a really tremendous uh props on that like they made his his legs look really bad his feet all swollen up like it's a very gruesome sight so good job on that but yeah it, the the character of Annie looks to be just this person that is doing a good thing taking care of him can't take him to a hospital because there's obviously that bad storm and it's knocked out like roads and phone lines so he has to stay there in the house and recuperate and she's going to take care of him um so that that's basically the whole movie and then it unravels and Turns out she's this like really obsessive fan and is upset uh, with the Paul Sheldon author because he killed off the the misery character and she's like a super diehard fan of those books and she basically forces him to write a book uh, bringing the character back you know just just kind of a, a really good commentary this movie's kind of ahead of its time. If you look at in terms of where fandom is now, you look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and probably more important important is the the Star Wars fan base and the way stuff got handled after the Last Jedi and, and the Rise of Skywalker and how fandom can really play into like just the way things are done creatively and and all that stuff. So yeah, she's not a fan of him wanting to venture onto a new novel. She like reads a part of his new one and then like doesn't like it. And she's like this really psychotic character. And I don't want to give away too much. Cause if you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. it's a nice, uh, it's a good thriller to me. It's a horror movie, you know, being in captivity with no, not being able to use your legs. And you have this psycho could be a man or a woman, you know, holding you captive and there's nobody nearby to save you. And, you know, they're basically weakening you with meds and all these different things. So to me, that's a, that's a horror story in itself. So I really don't didn't really look at it as a thriller. Um, but, yeah, that, that's that's the whole movie. That's the gist. And all these crazy things happen and, and it leads to this badass finale. And, uh, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. And uh, let's get into the uh, the critical analysis of this movie and what people were thinking. So. Obviously, I'm always going to go to Siskel and Ebert, who were the staple critics in the 90s. You would always see their names plastered on posters, TV ads, all that stuff. Two thumbs up, two thumbs down, split, whatever it is. Siskel and Ebert, most popular critics, so I will always turn to them for this series. Not that they're the end-all, be-all. I've disagreed with them a couple of times on this show, so I'm not like homers for them or anything like that, So or biased. You know, I, I, I try to take their criticism... Uh, you know, I, I try to dissect it, uh, justly. So they were two thumbs up on this movie. Really, really, uh, were into the Kathy Bates character, which I was as well. She was fantastic. Of course, she wins the Oscar for best actress, uh, of 1990. And what a banner year, right? For women in 1990, like you had Whoopi Goldberg and ghost. Uh, you've got, what's her name? I forgot the actress name from Goodfellas who, who plays Karen and then you got Mary McDonald and dances with wolves. Like just what a great year for women in film, which I didn't think I was going to be able to find, you know, just cause you know, that, that just wasn't the way things were back in the day in a very male dominated industry. And, and even just now, like we're finally starting to see women 
get their due in films. But it, going through this list through this year, a lot of good performances. And then, of course, Julia Roberts standing out in Pretty Woman, you know, just among just the many others that I just listed. So great year for women in, in 1990. But yes, Kathy Bates does win the Oscar. And yes, Siskel and Ebert both gave this movie thumbs up. They gave credit to Rob Reiner, the director, uh, who was a surprise to me. I didn't think he was the director of this movie. I know he goes on and does like A Few Good Men. But kind of when I hear his name, I think comedy, which is weird. And I know I shouldn't uh, associate a genre with that person. But I just I always think comedy when I, when I hear that name. Um, I know he's acted in some small roles as well. So maybe that's a factor too. I think he's played a couple of roles in some romantic comedy so I, I always think of that it's a weird thing but that's just the way that that i think of him um the c- director of cinematography also does a good job here uh, it's barry sonnefield who a- actually ends up go on going on to become a director himself he does the men in black movies if you're familiar with those will smith uh tommy lee jones that one may be tackled later on in this series uh if i make it that far right that would be in i think the first men in black was in 1997 so it would actually be in 2027, so we'll see. Uh, that's my goal with this podcast, and I sidetracked there real quickly. But yes, Siskel uh, and Ebert, all positive on this movie. And let's see what uh, Ron Tomatoes thinks as far as like a consensus of critics and the audience. So here is the, uh, the critics' consensus. So just spoilers here before I reveal the number. It is a positive. It's fresh. Uh, here's their consensus on the movie. Elevated by standout performances from James Caan and Kathy Bates, this taut and frightening film is one of the best Stephen King adaptations to date. I agree with that because I highly enjoyed this movie from start to finish. It was riveting. It was, you know, nail-biting. It's like, what's going to happen next? Uh, It got a 90% out of 68 uh, critic reviews. And again, if this movie were in 2020, I could probably see it on the maybe mid-80s because there'd be like, at least 200 reviews on this movie and the more reviews there are the more like the number's going to come down I, I know it's super high here but there's a lot of there's a smaller amount of reviews and i'm sure they're mostly positive in 2020 you have a lot of people that are just going to hate regardless of the fact so that's why i'd say it would be like in the mid 80s uh the audience was right up there with with the critics out of 177,000 ratings on this website for this movie it's at an 89 percent. so critics loved it Audiences loved it, and that'll help me talk about the box office a little bit for this movie. Um, first of all, it had a budget of $20 million, which I think is pretty high for a movie like this because it's pretty much in one setting in the house uh, for the most part. Yeah, you got some scenes outside with the snow and a little bit of shots inside a, of a small city that uh, Kathy Bates goes into. But for the most part, most of the movie does take place in the house. So I think the budget's a little high, but again, I think that's more to pay Kathy Bates and to cover the salaries of James Caan, who I know we're heading towards like the 90s where he's not really so much a a big-time actor. His time was more like in the early days around The Godfather, you know, stuff like that, but still a a pretty recognizable name. So you got to think most of it is to cover their salaries, and um, it's a Stephen King adaptation, so there's going to be some money put towards it. as I mentioned, it does open on November 30th, and it opens to $10 million. Now, as I, if you've been following this series, you know what my bar is as far as like a big opening uh, in the 90s. In that 20, 20 to $25 million where it's like, that's just an unbelievable opening. Now, like, numbers like that are nothing. Like, movies are opening to, like, freaking 
hundred, hundred and fifty million plus, and that's just for like, you know, an okay blockbuster. The big, big ones open above two hundred. So, but back in nineteen ninety, ten million is really good. Uh, it grosses sixty one million domestically. So, for like a horror type movie, I know they have it more uh, labeled as a thriller and all that. For as a horror movie, sixty one million is really good. So I consider this a success. It does beat out its budget, so there's a plus there. Uh, there's no international grosses reported, so who knows if this actually got an international release. Again, there's some movies here that I've been covering from 1990 that do have an international grosses attached to it and some that don't. So not sure how that works because every, every movie now these days does get internationally released. So there's that. So $61 million total. Uh, in 1990, that's awesome. But also in 2020, that's not that's not a bad number either. And I would probably bump it up to maybe 70 million because I think this movie would get some really good repeat viewings. I, I just think this this movie translate well, translates well into 2020. And I know I'm jumping the gun here a little bit as far as like aging, but yeah, it, it works. So I want to get into my three things about this movie. So the first thing, obviously, is Kathy Bates. We have to start there. Just what a what an incredible like you know transformation as far as like she plays this character named Annie and she's like a goody two shoes very nice very like oh no, I'm trying to help you this and that and then very slowly but surely she makes that turn and makes her intentions known and you find out how like evil and psychotic she is but then she also throws in elements while being evil like of being like funny and witty so she has to throw in that charm a little bit where it's like, oh, like this person's sick, but also like, hey, that was pretty funny. So she does a super well-around job. And obviously, she wins the Oscar for Best Actress. Well-deserved. You have to play this character uh, in so many different ways. And she has to juggle the emotions. She has to go back and forth. She has to go like from being like calm and nice to just like flipping out the next second, which she does. And when she does, it's scary too. Like there was times where I was like, Oh shit. Like they made me jump out of my seat just a little bit. Like she just did a really good job with that. So I have to uh, give my hands off to her. She did a tremendous job. And then of course she just, man, she just, she's so good at playing evil in this movie. So I like that performance a lot. James Conn also as well, but you know, for the most part, like, uh, I don't know. I probably would have gone a little younger with the actor in this. I, I just feel like James Conn may have been a little too old. But, I mean, I get it. He was, he's supposed to be playing this author that's been around for a very long time. So I can see the uh, the veteranness of it. But as we get to my recasting in 2020, I would definitely do it as a with a younger actor. Um, so my second thing that I really liked was uh, the violence and the... And the prosthetics, as I mentioned earlier, what the, what they did as far as like, you know, James Conn's legs being all like they're broken in the movie. But the way they go about showing you it, it's really incredible. And the tension, I want to I want to make this a split number two. So as far as like the props, the prosthetics, the violence, especially in the third act of the movie when they get into that big brawl. Um, yeah, just the tension in the movie going piece by piece and. As James Conn's trying to like figure out ways to escape, doing all these little things like, oh, is is he going to get caught by Kathy Bates while she's outside the house doing stuff? And all these little really good moments, good choice of direction, and the way that's filmed also like just done really, really well. And yeah, just the the, the fight that happens in the end between James Conn and Kathy Bates, where they're both like just 
fighting for their lives. More James Caan. Um, yeah, it's just it's a really good fight. And it's 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 gritty and like just just the way you think a fight would go, like just you know gouging of the eyes. I even said that before, like it happens in the movie. I'm like, gouge your eyes out, man! Like get away from her, and like he does it. I'm like, oh shit! And then you see the blood like burling out of Kathy Bates's eyes, and it's like, oh dude, this is this is a sick fight. They're going at it. She's psychotic, so throw out the whole like, oh, it's a woman that he's hitting. Like whatever. She's trying to kill him. She's trying to hold him captive. She has some psychotic intentions, even stuff like a double suicide type thing. So, you know, she's got some really, really bad intentions. So I'm all for whatever James Conn has to do as that character to try to escape her and get out alive. And the third thing about this movie that I liked was uh, just a really good script. Um some good dialogue here from Khan and the, and the back and forth between him and Bates. It really keeps the movie going because, you know, it for the most part, the movie is just them. Like, it's them the whole time. Like, you cut every now and then to, like, a, a sheriff that's, like, kind of, like, slowly trying to figure out what's going on. And then when he finally gets that big reveal, he's like, oh, I know where this guy may be at. Uh, but he pops in every now and then. And then when he does, like he gets immediately killed and like out of nowhere too. I'm like, Oh shit. Like you thought this was going to be the guy that was going to be able to save the Paul Sheldon character. And boom, he gets killed right away. And the movie does a pretty good job of, of, of making that twist happen. Right. Because you think like, Oh, like this is your typical, like he's going to come in he'll be the cop and saves, kills off Kathy Bates or whatever and saves James Conn. But that's totally not what happens. And it ends up like, as I just mentioned earlier, it turns into this big brawl with him and Kathy Bates and she's sort of like plays like this um Michael Myers type character where like he thinks you think he's killed her off but then she comes back like ferociously so just all very well done again to me this is a horror movie it's billed more as a thriller so just yeah just really good really good dynamic here especially for most of the movie just being centered on Khan and Kathy Bates in that house so major props to everybody involved. And uh, those are my three things that I liked about this movie. Like, no negatives here. It's it's only an hour and 47 minutes. So, it, it kind of... It starts, like, a little slow. But then it gets right into it. Like, there's really no downtime in this movie. Things are just going, going, going. And then, uh, yeah. I, I enjoyed the pace of this movie. It was, it was perfectly... Uh, it's a perfectly timed movie. Uh, it's not too long. It's not too short. It's just right. That mark for this type, and what have I said about, like, horror-type, you know, movies? Like, don't make them over two hours. Like, keep it around the one, an hour and a half or an hour and 45 if it gets to be a little special, which I think this movie is. I rated it on Letterboxd three and a half stars out of four. Like, I enjoyed the heck out of this movie. Again, it was a nail-biter from start to finish because you, you didn't know what was going to happen. And I know this movie's 30 years old, but I've never seen it. So, you know, yeah, it, it worked for me. And let's talk about the recasting. <laughs> How would I recast this movie in 2020? Now, I texted this move, this idea <laughs> to Daniel Tucker, who's been on this show. And I said, you know what? Let's do Misery in 2020. And let's do it about The Last Jedi, right? Let, let's get a, let's do it kind of like a semi-biographical uh, type feature where you would get the the director, Ryan Johnson. Again, it would be a movie about him. And he'd write the Last Jedi. He's he's tasked with the next Star Wars movie, 
and he's done all these tremendous things before, but now he's going to tackle like this giant like franchise that's been around forever. He writes the script for The Last Jedi, and he comes across uh, this obsessive fan. Again, you could do the same plot line. He gets into an accident, whatever, has to get you know uh, saved and recuperated, all that stuff. But it turns out this obsessive fan is like a Star Wars fanatic to the max. And they read the script for The Last Jedi, and they fucking lose it. Like, to their core, that it turns them evil. And you could do the same thing. And I think the story would be a satire, but also kind of like, just the way fandom has evolved throughout the years, it would be a little bit of a horror. And you can treat it that way as well. Like To people like me, that would be hilarious, but... I can also see the the real impact of like, hey, like, where do you draw the line as far as like being an obsessive fan and just someone that's just psychotic and evil? So that's how I would do it and who I would cast. So I would cast either Josh Gad or Jonah Hill in the uh, Ryan Johnson role. So now as far as like good at making those faces, like what the hell's going on here? I'd probably go with Josh Gad. Um, to bring in more of the comedic elements of it, I would probably put Jonah Hill. But just for the sake that I think I've used him already before on this show, I'm going to go with Josh Gad in that role. He writes The Last Jedi. He plays that character. Now, for the role of Annie, again, this is a character that has to to play uh, multiple like emotions, d- duality. You, you have to play like super nice and like just very comforting to like just flipping the switch and being psychotic and evil. But you also got to throw in those elements of comedy. Um, and I'm not doing this because of like body type or anything like that. But I, I think the type of actress that could do that. Let's get a Melissa McCarthy in there. She's got some real like evil cycle in her that you could see. We know she could do the comedy. We've seen her in all these movies. Bridesmaids, The Heat. Again, she has that range. If you've seen the movie This Is 40, she's really good at doing like this very like psychotic rage thing. Uh, and there's a good blooper reel at the end of that movie where she just goes off on this tangent and she's talking about doing all these evil things. Like it's hilarious, but it's also like kind of frightening. So I figure she would be perfect for this role in 2020. It would work. Let's get it done. Um, I think my idea is awesome. Uh, it wouldn't be, it would be like a remake in terms of like the, the setting and just the beats on the, on the original. But as far as like the story, like involving like the, the real life writing of that movie, The Last Jedi, I think it would be super hilarious. Or maybe I'll write it. I don't know. Nah, I'm not. I'm, I don't think I could do it. But it's a fun idea for 2020. Um, also, would this movie be a streamer or a theatrical release in 2020? Now, that's a very good question. Now you watch this one, and it looks totally like you can see this on Netflix or a Hulu or wherever. But I still think you could sell this as a really scary movie. I think if you cut the trailer just right, you can sell it to audiences. And then I think this could be another one of those movies that gets picked up by Blumhouse. And um, it would work just fine as a horror movie. Like, make sell the, the psychotic parts of, uh, of Melissa McCarthy, especially. Or actually, you know what? If we're going with the original, let's focus more on the psychotic aspects of... Uh, of the Kathy Bates character, because I think this movie still take this version of this movie works as a theatrical experience in 2020. And I think it would have some legs too, because I think it's just a solid overall film, the acting, the script, the directing, uh, it's all top notch. Like 
I, like I said, I rated it three and a half. It was almost a four in my book. Like in fours, I, I rarely give those two in terms of movie. Like a movie has to really be uh, like on the elite level, which it was right there. Like there's some stuff that it's missing, but like not a lot. It's still like, it's a really really good movie. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with theatrical uh, as, as far as 2020 goes. Uh, and again, this is like non pandemic going on and all that stuff. So I'm playing that what if as far as like the 2020. So give me a break on that. Don't say like, hey, movie theaters aren't open right now. Not all over the world. Like I get it, I get it, but that's not the game that I'm playing here uh, in my show. And lastly, does this movie hold up 30 years later? Uh, I think it absolutely does. Either this version or the 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 remake that I want to do, or even if you just redo this exact movie in 2020 and get a different cast, I think it still works. It holds up tremendously. There's a lot of themes here about you know fanatics and fans, and just the to the obsessive lengths that they go to want to see their fictional characters not be messed with, or you know if they don't like a certain thing, the way an author tells the story. I, I, I think that's a real problem we have today in today's Hollywood where we're kind of letting like fans and all that stuff be in charge of creative. And it shouldn't be like that. I always preach, you know, the, you got to let the artist be the artist. You know, they, they don't owe us anything. They, they, they should be able to tell the story that they want to tell. Like, yes, could you service the fans by doing a couple of things? Yes, absolutely. But, and if that's the way you want to tell your story, fine. But if you're wanting to tell the story that you want to tell, like you should be able to. And don't let the fans dictate how you take that story. It's yours to tell. I don't know. That's just the way how I feel about it. So I don't know. I just um it's a really interesting commentary. When I was when I was watching this movie, I was laughing laughing, but also kinda like in a like, oh shit, like we're actually at this stage with fandom. Like I can see a real life Kathy Bates type character. You know, losing their mind over. I mean, we saw a lot of the hate that, uh, and I know I joked about doing a remake and incorporating the Last Jedi part of it. But if you look at a lot of the online, you know, hate that was garnered for this last Star Wars movie, or no, I shouldn't say the last, but in this new uh, version of the movies that they've been doing, that last Last Jedi movie got so much criticism. Like the director got death threats and all this stuff, and oh, how he messed up Star Wars. Um, you know, actors from that movie were harassed and all this stuff, like a lot of bad stuff. Like, you know, and this is why I've always said, like, I know every fandom has like bad fans, but to me, I've never seen anything worse than like Star Wars fans. Like they're just very protective of their, of their property and how they think stories should be told. And, you know, Ryan Johnson was trying to do something different with this movie. Now I'm one of those people that I absolutely enjoyed the, the direction he was taking with this story. And then it got hijacked, and we all saw what happened with that last movie. It was a complete mess, and it was all due to like studio interference and them trying to re, uh, you know respond to that outrage from the fans who just didn't like it. And I don't know, it's it's a weird thing, and I don't like where that's headed, and I don't like that fans can control narratives. Like I'm the I'm the biggest Rocky fan in the world, okay, and I love these Creed movies, and I have to accept them for what they are. Now, if they were to go in some weird direction with the next Creed movie, like, I'm not going to be like, how dare you do this? Like, I'll just be like, okay, I didn't like it and I'll move on. But I won't make, like, a living out of, like, lambasting whoever the director is or the writer or the cast. Like, I'm like I'm some entitled person who deserves to, you know, have the story done the way I want it to. 
No, I respect directors. I respect the artists and I respect however they want to tell their stories. Now I'm going on this big tangent. And if you haven't seen the movie, like you'll completely understand why after you've watched it, uh, for those of you that have never seen it before. So this, this whole rant is not for just like shits and giggles. Like it really does tie into what's going on in that movie and how fandom can become like a really, people can become really weird with it. And I don't understand it. Like I'm a huge fan of wrestling and, you know, all these different types of movies and shows, but I will never like go to the lengths of like, ah, I'll harass, you know, talent or directors or whatever over it. Like, cause at the end, it's just a piece of entertainment. Like who cares? She's calm down fanboys. Like really like they really should watch this movie and be like, wow, is this what we really are like? Like, yeah, you are like kind of like little evil monsters, at least in my mind. But so y'all need to tone it down just a bit, but whatever. And that's uh misery fun, fun movie. Check it out. If you haven't, um, I might buy a copy of this movie. I thought it was really, really well made. We'll see if they do like a 4k version of it. Um, or maybe there is one already. I'll go look for it. Anyways, coming up next week, it's a double feature. It's back. Uh, I'm going to be tackling Edward Scissorhands and the rookie from director Clint Eastwood, not the Dennis Quaid baseball movie that comes in 2002, I believe. No, this is a Clint Eastwood and Charlie Sheen in a Clint Eastwood movie. So um, Edward Scissorhands I've seen before, so it'll be nice to revisit this one. Haven't in a long time. And then The Rookie will be a first-time watch, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, then after that, it'll be another double feature of Look Who's Talking To and the movie Mermaids. And then to top it off, Kindergarten Cop and The Godfather Part 3, which I'll be bringing on Daniel Tucker once again. And for that one, we will be reviewing both like the original cut and there's a new one that's getting re-released uh it's just it's cut differently so and this is from coming from the director himself so it's supposed to be different uh we'll see how much it is how how it affects it and whether it makes the movie better or worse um i won't spoil how we feel about that movie but um that'll be coming uh that'll be dropping on christmas day so again like i said we're 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 really heading towards the the finale of season one of this spinoff series. Thank you so much if you've if you've tuned in to every episode, or even if you've tuned in to just a couple. I know there's some movies on here where you're like, what? Like, why is he doing that one? But no, uh, these are just the movies that I've selected. Like, there's a bunch, but uh, these are the ones that I that I really wanted to tackle, and uh, it, it's been a lot of fun, and I, I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm patting myself on the back a little bit that the fact that I've gone this far. You know, I had this idea in my head to do this spinoff series but it's like was i gonna really go through with it as well as you know do my regular show so i'm proud of myself i'm gonna be keep setting on uh little goals for myself as this uh, show continues on and i go on in year two so thank you guys so much and you can follow this podcast on spotify search palace off the top rope um hit that follow button i do share this podcast link through my uh social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram through podbean.com. You can download the app. You can listen on your PC, your phone. If you're an Apple person, please, I beg of you, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you'll be doing me a huge favor as far as like trying to get this show to chart, trend, you know, whatever, make a top 100 list or whatever. 
I'm, I, I know it's a hard goal to achieve because everybody's got a, a freaking podcast these days. But, you know, you never know. All it takes is for the right one to go viral or for the right person to listen. And who knows? I mean, yeah, a guy can dream, right? Or not. I'm still doing this as a as a hobby, which I enjoy. I always love talking movies, pop culture, you know, whatever it is. So thank you guys so much. Um, I appreciate you all. I'll be back later in the week with uh, Abraham Trevino and Jake Ramirez. Where we, we will be covering uh, week 12 of the NFL and then previewing week 13. We're almost done with the regular season of the NFL. So that's rapidly approaching and um, also inching closer to my 100th episode of my regular show. So I'll probably be working on something for that. I want to do something special and also going to bring on Paco Torres back. Uh, I lost a bet to him uh, a few weeks ago. Actually, it's, I think it's been more than a few weeks um, where our teams faced each other in, in football. It was the 49ers, his team, and my team, the New England Patriots. And there's these set of Western movies that he wants me to watch uh, for the fact that I lost the bet. And I'm like, okay, cool, I'll do it. But then I thought to myself, like, what if I watch them? I know he's seen them. What if we make a podcast show out of it and review those movies together and get our thoughts on it? And he was so game for that. And I thought, okay, awesome. Like, that'll be a cool way to pay off the bet. Like, bring him on for a podcast. So that'll be coming soon as well. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, Again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Again, next week, Edward Scissorhands and The Rookie, double feature. So be on the lookout for that. It'll be coming next Monday. So have a good week, guys. Enjoy. I'm your number one fan. I'll take good care of you. My name is Annie Wilkes. This was kind of a miracle, you finding me. In a way, I was following you. You were following me. I think one of my clients, Paul Sheldon, might be in some kind of trouble. Eventually, you'll come to accept the idea of being here. Annie, whatever you think I'm not doing, please don't do it. Trust me. God, It's for the best. Misery, rated R, starts Friday at select theaters.